Rounds three and four of the Suncorp Super Netball season gave us some exciting results, and the ANZ Premiership Grand Final matchup is set. We are back to discuss it all here on the Centre Pass podcast. Hello and welcome to the Centre Pass podcast brought to you by Netball Draft Central. My name is Jared Gardner and as always I'm joined by Taylor Mulkey and Sophie Taylor. And a massive week of Netball Taylor, rounds three and four of the Suncorp Super Netball season completed and some massive results. Yeah, there definitely were some massive results and I think some really big upsets that people weren't expecting. So I think this season is kind of showing that it's anyone's game and that for me is the really exciting part about the 2020 uh, Suncorp Super Netball season in particular. Yeah, definitely. And and Sophie, uh, uh, those results obviously coming off those uh, short breaks due to the condensed fixture, um, we're already seeing the, the results of that and some um, close games in, in round four. Yeah, it was a bit of a weird round because we had some really close games and then a few unexpected blowout games. So, I mean, I guess that's to be expected with some teams resting a lot of players and some teams choosing to kind of field their best players in some matches and not others. So it's it's been really, really interesting to see how things are kind of swapping and changing um, and what kind of, I guess, coaching choices are being made every single game because there's always, there's clearly a different game plan now that there's multiple games a week. Yeah, definitely. And everyone's really learning on the fly uh, with this season like no other. Uh, First of all, we're going to go through the round three results. We're going to go through them quickly. Um, First up, it was the Giants who got their first win of 2020 with a victory over the Fever, 75 to 68. The Firebirds, 54, were defeated by the Magpies, 58. The Magpies are getting their first victory of 2020. Uh, the Swifts, 60, 66, defeating the Thunderbirds, 51. And the Fixens, 63, defeating the Lightning, 51. Um, not really too many surprises in that batch of results, uh, but a great win. Great wins by the Magpies and Giants to get their first victories of 2020. I don't think there were wins were surprising, but I think it was the margins in which some of those teams won by that was the surprising element. For example, the Vixens getting up by 12 goals against the Lightning is a really huge factor, especially uh, considering the evenness of the competition so far. So it was really interesting to see the way that they kind of exploited the Lightning and really just made them um, play a different style of game, which we haven't seen before. So... I didn't know which way the game was going to go, but clearly the Vixens came in with a really clear game plan and capitalised on each and every opportunity that swung their way. And like I said, 12 goals against the Lightning is is a huge feat. Yeah, it was it was an interesting round in that um, it was really exciting to see uh, the Firebirds push the Magpies. There were a few moments in there where they really looked like they were about to turn the game and uh, the Firebirds, I mean, you look at Kim Jenner, an absolutely amazing start to the season. She's killed it all all season so far. Um, The work that she does to try and um, kind of push her team to win and then you look at the Magpies and a young gun like Molly Jovic stepping up, she... um, I think she won player of the match award in that one. Um, and it was only a four goal win. So 
it was really exciting to see kind of that closeness of the contest. Obviously, you look at the Vixens and Swifts, um, they both stayed undefeated uh, through round three with those wins. Um, it all changed the next round, but uh, it, was, it was a really interesting round. And I think it was especially interesting because a lot of teams were coming off short breaks. Um, the Fever played the Sunday before and then played the Tuesday. Um, teams are going to be doing that again this week. Um, so it's all about just backing up that kind of that first effort with a second effort win. And it's kind of thrown some interesting results our way. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, the Fever are one that I want to talk about specifically because I think for the second round in a row, they've put up a score that would have won them any other match in that round. They scored 68 goals, which was the second highest total of the round. They just happened to come up against the team who scored the highest total of the round in the Giants, who scored 75. So it's the same story for the Fever two rounds in a row where they're able to put up that huge score and Janiel Fowler's putting up those shots and doing a great job in there, but they miss Courtney Bruce and they're just not able to, to restrict um, their opposition. It's, it's, a, it's become a real problem for the Fever this year. Yeah, and I was just going to touch on that point, Jared. I think that ga- this game kind of shows that you can't just win games off offence or attack type of things, that you kind of need to have that full court pressure. So while you can go forward and score with great ease, we've seen that week in, week out with Janiel Fowler and the fact that she's just so prolific and accurate. But if you can't have that full court defence and that full court pressure, then it also allows your opposition to score with just as much ease. And given the fact that the Giants have the likes of both Caitlin Bassett and Joe Harton, well, Joe Harton in particular, who can do damage from the super shot zone, you kind of need to be able to apply that pressure down back to stop them from scoring with ease. So like you said, the fact that they scored 68 goals, that's a huge, huge effort because I think the next closest in the following games was 66. So... The fact that that wasn't enough to get over the top of the Giants, I think purely comes back to the fact that, yes, they were missing Bruce and they missed that leadership down back, but it's also that full-court transitional defence which needs to be applied to stop other teams from scoring with such ease. Yeah, I agree with that. And just before we move on, I quickly want to make mention of the milestones from that round. Um, that that Giants game was Caitlin Bassett's 200th um, national cap, I'm pretty sure, in domestic league, whatever. Um, we also had Paige Hadley's 100th and Kate Maloney's 100th and 50th as captain. Also, in the next round, there was Verity Charles's 100th and April Brownlee's 50th Um I'm pretty sure. There are a lot of milestones. I think it might have been Brandley's 100th. No, I I thought it was her 50th. Regardless, a lot of Vixens hit their 100th, um, their 100th, no, their 50th SSN game the next round. There There were just a lot of milestones. There's a lot going on. I don't think anyone kind of expected so many of these, like, big milestones coming up. Um clearly there's been a little bit of a wave of all those players coming in because a lot of them are um are those kind of they're all around the same age they've all come up through the system kind of together as 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 a unit so it's kind of it's pretty cool to see some of the big names kind of all sharing that milestone while they're in different teams all sharing that milestone in a collective round type of thing yeah 
It's, yeah, it was just pretty cool. And I think it was, yeah, the Giants, Swifts and Vixens all got wins in their milestone games. Um, the Fever did in round four when it was very Charles's. And then the Giants, Firebirds won, which was round four as well, which we'll talk about soon, um, was Branley's milestone and didn't quite go to plan, but it wasn't not to plan. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the one that was really impressive was Caitlin Bassett. I think we've spoken about her so far in this season and she probably hasn't, um, hasn't, or the team hasn't adapted um, around the super shot rules and she hasn't adapted to that play too well. Um, but to come out in this game against the Fever and she shot 47 of 53 and had a massive impact um, on the game, that combination with Joe Harton, um, they really found their feet and really found a way to kind of do damage um, across the entire quarter and especially during that super shot period. So uh, a great game for her and uh, congratulations to all those players who did reach those milestones in round three and four. Uh, we will move on to round four now. We're going to go through it uh, match by match because there were some massive results here, some really close games and um, a couple of up upsets. Uh, the first game of the round was the Magpies up against the Fever and this one was an absolute thriller. Uh, one point in the end for the Fever win 63 to 62. Um, this was an, an absolute a great performance from both sides, both so desperate to kind of stay in touch with the top, uh, with the fi with finals and those top three sides. Uh, what did you guys think of this match? Taylor, we might start with you. Well, coming from a Magpies perspective, it was really heartbreaking because it was so close, but yet so far. And I think the thing that they'll be really proud of is the fact that they got blown away in that first quarter. There was a 10 goal deficit by quarter time and the fact that they came out to win the next three is just a testament to that really strong core of young players that kind of took the game on and really adapted to the the position and and weren't afraid to go hunting for the ball and weren't afraid to shake things up I think Shimona Nelson uh, deserves credit for you know her performance under the post there was a moment there where I was like oh she definitely should have passed that off to Nelson up uh, to Gabby Sinclair in the dying seconds of the game for a, a, a super shot and they could have potentially have tied the game up but if it wasn't for Nelson throughout that game it would have been a very different situation I think she has really developed her game this season and kind of keeps uh, evolving which is a really good sign not only for her but the club as a whole and I think as you touched on before so Molly Jovic has just completely blossomed into a really key player for them as well so from a Magpies perspective, there's plenty of upside, but from the Fever's perspective, they they now know that they can win ugly, if that makes sense. They know that they can grind it out, and their bench players completely and utterly stood up. I, I think we've spoken about um, Sunday Ayang and, and Olivia Lewis before. They're really dominating, and the fact that they kept Courtney Bruce on the bench for a while before she entered the game is also a really impressive feat. Yeah, I was really impressed with the young players that stepped up in this game. And um, there were a few players that I thought were the real kicker in this one. And they were, they were from both teams. I mean, you look at Jodie Ann Ward, I think that was her best game um, all season. Uh, she really came into her own and she was going out hunting and she was pretty consistent at that. Um, and I, I really, really liked what she was doing. I found her a little bit messy, but it seems like she's kind of worked into it and cleaned up her act a little bit so I really enjoyed watching her in that one um, and Jess Anstis I thought had a really good game too she 
was really quiet last year after 2018 and has kind of come out this year with fresh legs and a little bit more energy. And she made some really, really great um, deflections and turnovers to actually keep the fever in front. Um, and obviously, like you said, Sunday Ayang um, and Olivia Lewis stood up again. I just think they are two really, really talented names down back in defence. And the Fever have done such a good job. I mean, obviously, they do have Bruce and uh, Francis, who are both completely different defenders. But that actually really, really works in their favour because they can develop these players to have um, aspects of their game from both of those defenders, plus you look at all the development they're going to get in the next few years as well. I just think the work that Stacey Marinkovic has done to develop that defensive unit is so impressive. And I'm like, yeah, that fever defensive unit. I usually am not a huge fan of fever in defense, but oh, they've been so good. So exciting to watch. So yeah, this was a really enjoyable game. Obviously kept everyone on their toes a little bit unsure. Like you said, Taylor, um, Molly Jovic, Jovic, whatever you want to say. Um, she, she didn't play much of the game in the end. She played the first and, uh, uh, most of the first, most of the second, and then came on for the last minute or so and took a great deflection to, or like to propel the ball back down the court. Like the hunt that these players have is so immense. And I've been really, really impressed by it, especially these two teams with their youth. Yeah, definitely. And I think, Sophie, um, you took the words right out of my mouth when you talk about the Fever and their defence. I think we spoke about it in the Round 3 game and so far this season, um, how important Courtney Bruce is to that side. And um, I think it's great to see her back on the court from a Fever perspective. But I think what Stacey Marinkovic has done by giving the opportunities to Sunday Aryang and to Olivia Lewis to really develop them because they're the next generation and uh, they're going to be the ones who are leading the fever in the future. So um, a great job there and, and they, they, will, they will really benefit from these opportunities in years to come. Uh, and an impressive win after a couple of close losses for the fever. So they're happy to get back on the winner's list and sitting in fourth position on the ladder um, after four rounds. The second game of round four uh, was the first draw of the 2020 Suncorp Super Netball season. It was the Firebirds and the Giants all tied at 61 um, at the final whistle. This was a, a, another thriller in round four, and um, both sides can take positives out of this match, but ultimately um, neither team comes away with a win. I dibs talking about Kim Jenner for the next <laughs> like, 25 to 30 minutes because, honestly, that game from her was just phenomenal. And I think in the past, people have been really critical of her of her messiness and her, her lack of cleanliness going into the contest. I know Sophie has always pointed that out in saying that she can be a bit clumsy on the follow-through. And I think this game, towards the end, she kind of showed she was tiring and maybe wasn't contesting as cleanly. But her first three quarters was just sublime. She read the, every single play with such ease and her closing speed is ridiculous. Honestly, I was just sitting there in complete and utter awe of how impressive she was. She really led that Firebirds defense and not only that, but her transition through the midcourt was also really impressive. The fact that she just constantly provided that drive and that hustle was, I think for me, a key reason why the Firebirds got close or got that draw in the end, because she just didn't give up. And 
that's not something you can teach. You have to have that that ability. You have to have that innate feeling to go, you know what, I'm going to constantly try, try, try. And she just never, ever stopped. And that was, for me, the really important part that there were patches in that game where it, the Firebirds looked like they could potentially get blown away. And then she just comes screaming out for an intercept and then would change the course of the game. She, for me, will definitely be a player that the Diamonds should look to in the future, if not, hopefully, fingers crossed, by the end of season, if there is an international season, because I think she would be great to get out on court. Yeah, like Taylor said, I'm not the the head of the Kim Jenner fan club, like fan club that but would I be me she's a phenomenal I'm, player. I'm, I'm the head of the fan club I'll <laughs> let you in if you want <laughs> well it, it's not that I dislike her game style it's it's that messiness and it's that she hasn't had enough time to develop with her an experienced name behind her um if Geitz had stayed another year I think that would have done her even more wonders which is insane to me I think she still has a lot of room to improve which is such a threat um, when it comes to it. Um, something that I will say though, I and Taylor hates me for this, I want to see how she's coached under a different coach. Um, even if that is a Diamonds coach, I just think that would be really, really beneficial to her. But moving away from Kim Jenner, this was one of those games where I look at it and go, you know what, I'm happy with that being a draw. <laughs> just because both teams had really big ebbs and flows, there was a big difference in this game between their best moments and their worst moments. Um, and that's kind of a good thing, but also a really bad thing when it's such a close contest, when your worst moments are the opposite of theirs, where they're having these really big peaks and then falling into troughs and then you're having the peaks because that's where you're never going to be separated. Um, and I just thought the Firebirds did such a great job to keep that hunt on the Giants, really, really putting them under pressure. I mean, you look at players like um, Joe Harton. She had a quieter game than usual. She still played really well. I mean, she's a fantastic goaler. But um, Bassett was kept a lot quieter than the first game. Kira Austin had to come into goals where she didn't the first game either. Um, and it was almost like they needed to keep rotating because the Firebirds defensively were right on top of them the entire game. They were just relentless. And I mean... I know we talk a lot about how Kim Jenner um, was so influential, but that last quarter Tara Hinchliffe really switched on. And I think that's where it really helped them too, because it was the two of them working in tandem to really ensure that the ball wasn't going to come into the circle easily. And so, but that being said, like the Giants also had some really great defensive moments too. You look at Palmy having another great game. Pullman couldn't boss around Ramelda Aiken as much as she typically likes to. So she almost had a cleaner game because she couldn't physically do it, um, which was quite funny to me as well. So, yeah, this was a really good game. Even though it ended in a draw, I felt like it actually really fit for this match in particular. I do pose a question for you, for both of you guys, though. There was talk that, for example, without the super shot, the Firebirds would have won that game. How does that sit with you? For me, because clearly I'm a bit of a biased Firebirds fan, that kind of annoys me because I'm like, if we take away, clearly, I mean, you know, it's all hypothetical saying like, oh, well, if we'd taken it away, they would have won that game, blah, blah, blah. But you don't know. Clearly, that's just, you know, hypothetical. But how do you kind of see it as, is the super shot now really starting to have an impact? Because at the start, people were saying, oh, no, but, you know, 
it's most times teams that win are normally the ones that put up the most shots. In this case, it should have gone the other way. Like it should have actually ended in a in a result in the Firebirds' favor. I I'm. I mean, I think we're all pretty clear on where I stand with the super shot. I don't, I don't particularly like it, and um, I, the the fact that teams can win a game purely off the back of that really frustrates me because it takes away from the game itself and the tactics behind it. Um, it adds an entirely new layer to the tactics because at the end of the day, if you just shoot those all day long you know that you're at least going to be within a chance. And obviously it gives teams a chance to fight back, but a lot of the time they wouldn't be dealing with this extended margin if the super shot wasn't in there in the first place. And that's where the frustration kind of lies for me. But Jared, I haven't explained it very well, but you go. Um, Yeah, I think obviously it's been documented where I stand on the super shot and my opinions of it. Um, I think every, like, I think you make a great point, Taylor, in that the Firebirds would have won this game by, I think it was six goals if the super shot wasn't in play, but on the flip side, and I'm going to play devil's advocate as I always do when it comes to the super shot, um, you look at the attempts for the Giants and Joe Harton made six out of 11 attempts, Kira Austin made three out of five. So they took 16 shots from the super shot range do they attempt those like those tougher shots if the super shot rule isn't in play? Yeah, so, so that's a really well, you good know point. Harton would. What? Well, yeah, I think Harton probably would, but I think they're more likely to keep Bassett in goal shooter and go to post. So I think. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think I I understand um, that people don't like that. You, they, they've they've come back and drawn this game just solely based on the super shot. But I also think they're going to say, well, we did, we played by the rules. Like we did exactly what um, we needed to do to get a result. And yeah, it's a tough one, but everyone's going to have their own opinion. I just thought I'd pose the question and see what everyone's take on it was, because I know that there's been clearly so much talk about it. And also another controversial topic, which we can probably touch on before we get into the next game, was the Fever appealing um, a a goal by the Magpies or something along those lines, which I found interesting in the first place, considering they already secured the win. But I suppose this season they've a lot of teams are, are so reliant on percentage now rather than the aspect that we had last season with bonus points. So it really brings into play and brings the the super shot into further spotlight because now it's looking at like our officials, you know, actually watching exactly where the foot lands. Is it this? Is it that? There's all these different elements. And the fact that the Fever have taken it one step further and going, okay, no, we're appealing this is also another really interesting element that I found to come out of round four. Yeah, I agree. There, there's currently not a, um, not an, what's the word? Like a protocol review protocol yeah, like- kind of thing. Um, and that's what makes it a little bit difficult because obviously one goal isn't going to count, like make a huge difference when it comes to um, percentage but the issue with that the fever had is that if it happens once, it could happen again. So basically what happened is 
Teague kneeled, took a shot from the super shot zone and the umpire put up one arm for a goal instead of two, which means that it, even though it was counted as two on the scoreboard, because the umpire said it was one, it should only count for one. So technically, it's not the fever asking for an extra goal. It's that because of the way that the ruling is, that it has to be the umpire's decision. It was like... um. Something happened, um, I can't remember who was taking a shot, I'm pretty sure it was round three or four, um, someone was going for a shot and they put their shot up um, and the siren went on the on the um, shot, the player had already put the, put the ball up, but the ball hadn't passed through the ring and so the goal should only count when it's passed through the ring, but technically it's the umpire's call that signals the end of the quarter, not the siren. So the umpire signaled it after the siren. So it's, it's those little things where it's not quite human error, but it's that fraction of a second where um, the umpire's call hasn't been made or has been made. And that's where those differences kind of lie. It's really interesting. And um, actually, Netball Victoria put out an article, I think it was last night, about um, the um, impact of the season on umpires. And I found it fascinating, um, particularly about the Victorian umpires, because... Um, uh, Tim Marshall, one of the umpires, brought up that the super shot actually completely changes how you have to watch the goal circle. You're so used to players trying to get as close as they can to the post. And I, it's the same with defenders. It's the same with any player on the court. But when you're an umpire, you have to actually physically adjust your positioning to be able to see further out of out of the circle there's so much bunching that you miss some contact you miss some stepping you miss little things here or there and then adding in the fact that you've got to remember to put up two hands for a super shot it's just a lot of new things that have come in this season and I don't think we quite understood how it would impact the umpire so much um clearly adding one more thing to a rule book that you've known for some of them 15 20 years um clearly that can do a lot more than just impact a small smidgen of the game. It can actually change how you umpire it, it overall. Um, I feel like I've gone on a huge rant here, but it was a really interesting scenario where if it doesn't get picked up now, it ne- there needs to be protocol to pick it up later. Yeah, I, th- I think you make a great point and I think it's something that um, clubs will continue to pressure the league as, as a whole to kind of do something about and make sure that we do have certainty around some of those decisions um just before we do move on um just finally on this giant thunder uh, firebirds draw um taylor if you get to speak about kim jenner i get to speak about amy parmenter um (laughs) i think i think that's a fair trade-off yeah Um, yeah i think had an awesome game in round three and i don't actually so much want to talk about her specifically in round four although she did have a great game again it was the matchup between her and Gemma Maimai. i think these are two players who We'll see, I, I hope, very soon in the Diamond setup. Um, I think they're two players who can have a massive impact in international level and they've developed so quickly uh, since they've come onto the Suncorp Super Netball stage. And I just think that was one of the best matchups from this game. And um, yeah, it was really kind of great to see those two young guns going at it. Um, moving on now to the third game of round four. And this one is the grand final rematch from 2019. And it is it was the Lightning who got the win over the Swifts, 65 to 58. Um, a little bit of redemption for the Lightning. Obviously, they would have loved to get the win um, on that last day of the season in 2019. But 
um, a great result here uh, to, to beat the Swifts. Yeah, so it wasn't just about redemption from that grand final. It was also about, you know, recapturing that form and redemption for last round because they were completely and utterly uh, kind of shut down against the Vixens. So the fact that they came out with such intensity this round was really impressive. For me, it was Kara Conan in that goal shooter position that really impressed because she she was just so strong for me, at the start of the game, she was they were really struggling to find her or it was almost like the feeders lacked confidence to, to, to get the ball into Conan under the post and that really frustrated me because she was doing so much great work. Her footwork was impressive, her movement was really strong and she was holding space really obviously but yet you could see that Laura Sherrion and Langman and, and Steph Wood to a certain extent were holding back on releasing that ball into her. And then as the game progressed, they grew with confidence and Conan started to have a really significant impact. I think at the end she scored 50-something goals at like a 90% or something along those lines, which is just phenomenal. And the fact that she did it against Sarah Clow, Maddie Turner and Lauren Moore, they all had a go at her like in that goalkeeper position and she was just not phased by their presence whatsoever. That's where the Lightning won the game. It's once they grew that confidence to just deliver the ball into her straight away because she was doing all of this great pre-work and they were missing her or hesitant to release into her. So once they did that, the floodgates opened in attack and it was just a really strong performance by them. Yeah, what I really liked about the Lightning in this one is that they proved they're more willing to throw around the bibs and we kind of saw that in the, in the Vixens game in round three where um, Langman went from centre into wing defence. Um, and they did that again in this game. And I think that's really when they started to take a little bit more control. Um, and also looking at uh, both Jackie Russell and... Um, Maddie, was it? Maddie, McAuliffe. Maddie McAuliffe. Both of them had actually a lot more of an impact stats-wise than they usually do. Obviously, everyone knows the impact that they have on the game because the way that they play allows Pretorius to come out hunting. But what they did in this game, and obviously neither of them played a full game, but both of them played so well in tandem, replacing each other where required, that they were able to both have kind of stats grabbing games and also allow Pretorius to get out there for that pass. So I thought that was really, really impressive. I will say though, the Swifts looked really tired. They didn't look like themselves. They were making a lot of rotations. And obviously we know that the Swifts are known for making rotations. They've never been worried about that before, but it didn't seem like they were able to hold up to the same extent as they have in the past. They seemed a little bit messy, obviously, like early on in the third quarter, Housby went down and that's, uh, it kind of threw a bit of a spanner in the works. Um, but overall, the, the Lightning just completely outclassed the Swifts and, and that's really hard to do. The Swifts obviously haven't had the, the, the like blinding start that they probably hoped for this season, given Turner's been out for the first three rounds and only came in for, I think, was half the game. But overall... The Lightning just looked so much more cohesive um, and that's clearly what got them over the line here. Yeah, I think the point you make about the Lightning looking cleaner than the Swifts is uh, what really sticks with me and especially when I was watching this game. I think when I was watching it, I thought it, and now I'm looking at the stats, it backs up what I was thinking. Um, 
we talked about the Swifts in 2019 and we talked about when they moved the ball down court, they really cherished the possession and really forced their opposition into being clumsy and giving away those contacts. Um, but I think in this game, you look at the stats, they gave away 28 general play turnovers to compared to 22 from the Lightning. And even more um, alarming in the stats is they gave away 59 penalties in the game compared to 33 for the Lightning. So it's a massive difference. And I think when the, the Lightning figured out, when you can force the Swifts to kind of um, be that little bit messy and um, and just kind of put them off their game that little bit, it goes a long way. And um, they were just dominant in this game. And a seven-point seven victory was just um, a great result for them. And as we said earlier, a bit of redemption for that grand final defeat. Uh, moving on now in the final game of round four, and this one was the big upset of the round, and I think some are already calling it the upset of 2020, uh, the Thunderbirds <laughs> getting the win over the Vixens 54-47. to 47. Um, a, a really disappointing result for the Vixens, obviously their first loss for the 2020 season. Uh, Sophie, I, know, I see you got a bit of a disappointed look on your face. What was your take on this game? Well, I think it's safe to say that this was frustrating, but not unexpected. I think the Thunderbirds have been building for the past few rounds. You look at their connections, getting more secure, the confidence that they have in Gusketh coming back and Glasgow coming back is huge. And I, yeah, like I said, I'm disappointed, but not surprised because I always knew the Thunderbirds were going to come out firing. And I personally, um, the defensive unit of the Vixens, I find, works really cohesively when there's one key goaler at the post and they're just they're shutting down the goal attack and they're like or just not letting the goal attack get the ball to the goal shooter and then they're shutting down the goal shooter, forcing them back on the goal line. That doesn't work with the Thunderbirds because they've got a rotating circle like the Vixens do. And so um, I think they just really struggled. Potgeeter shot at 100% in this game. Um, had a really, really good game. And Emily Mannix just could not stop her when she got going. Georgie Hall just had a, a pretty average start, but then came out f absolutely firing in the second half. And it's it's that same thing. And obviously the F Thunderbirds clearly made more use of the super shot than the Vixens did. I think only just, if I've got that correct. I think they got five super shots and the Vixens got four. Yeah, so... But you look at that last quarter, 19 to 10, that was the only quarter that the Thunderbirds won. And yet they did it so well. They built up throughout the entire game. And it's kind of that thing of you don't need to work your way ahead of a team the entire – like, I don't know how to word it. I, like, you, you, you don't just need You just to need to keep up the with work the back. Exactly, exactly. You don't need to do all the work at once as long as you keep them on their toes and force errors from them because we know the likes of – uh, probably Joe Weston is the one that kind of comes to mind in that where the the closer a game gets, the more whistle she finds. Um, and you just need to work them to the point where they are going to make errors and then capitalise off those errors and you're good to go. And that's what the Thunderbirds did so well in this game. So it was kind of disappointing and I felt like I jinxed them a little bit because the last few weeks I haven't worn my Vixen scarf and then this week I did and they lost. So um I'm blaming myself for it, <laughs> but overall, the Thunderbirds, they did deserve the win because they made the Vixens not look like the Vixens. So yeah, credit to them.
See, for me, the issue wasn't so much in defense. It was more in the goal circle in particular, in the fact that all three of them looked really flat-footed and extremely tired. Tegan Phillip was just like a shell of herself. She could not drive into the space. She was really uh, clumsy and fumbling the ball, which you don't often see. And then Maui Kamwenda was strong at the post, but clearly up against Shamira Sterling. She Sterling had her number well and truly. Like there was just nothing getting into her. And Katie Thwaites was, you know, down on her usual output as well. And I think that was just the three of them couldn't gel together. And at stages when both Kamwenda and Thwaites were playing, they both reverted back to that holding goal shooter, which meant there was no movement in the circle, which then allowed Sterling to really come into play and just dominate. I think that Sterling actually had one of her best games of the season in this round. And you you could tell from the opening or the first whistle she came to play, she was strong on... Um, over the shot, that lean is just ridiculous. And that, clearly, I'm no goaler, but that would be enough to put me off. Like, just, it's so intimidating. So, especially for someone like Philip, who's clearly on the shorter side, it's really hard to combat that lean in the first place. Um, so, yeah, I think it was a disappointing performance from the Vixens. But at the same time, you have to have your first loss at some stage. May as well get it out of the way now, iron out those issues and then come back rejuvenated and fresh. I think I've we've briefly spoken about it or off air, we've spoken about it saying how the Vixens can be so inconsistent at times. And it kind of looked like this season they'd figured out all of those inconsistencies and really started to find their stride. But I think this game kind of reminded them that they that they can be beaten. And I think that's a really important thing because teams then have to reassess their options. And enough to hack, they paid way too much credit to, to Sterling in the, in the sense that I think to a certain extent, it's like they over-prepared and then went into their shells because they didn't want to pass anywhere near her. But then the ball just didn't move, which forced her to come into play even more because she could read it and just go, oh, okay, well, this is going to happen. I'm just going to go there. So, yeah, it was a really interesting performance. And I think the Thunderbirds will take a lot of confidence out of that game. Yeah, definitely. I think both of you make a great point about um, that inconsistency over four quarters for the Vixens. It was a common theme in 2019 and they were really punished when um, they kind of took took the foot off the accelerator a little bit in some games and especially happened in this one and the Thunderbirds were good enough to to pounce and um, really dominate that last quarter, 19 to 10. And uh, Sophie, you mentioned it, Georgie Hall just had an awesome match and goal attack for the Thunderbirds and obviously great to see her um, getting some court time and playing a good role for the Thunderbirds so far in 2020. Uh, that is all for round four uh, of the Suncorp Super Netball season. Uh, now we're going to move on to our team of the week and this one, it's going to be a bit different now with condensed fixtures and two matches a week. Our team of the week um, is just going to be combined from the two mat- the two rounds during the week. Um, we've also extended our bench, so there's going to be five subs, so just a few more players in there. Um, Taylor, I might kick it off with you in defence. Yes, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> <laughs> so surprise, surprise, goalkeeper goes to Shamira Sterling. I literally just finished speaking about how much of an impressive game she had, and I think you could see... Especially in that round four performance, her attitude was just really vibrant instead of sometimes she can come out and just look a bit lacklustre. This game, she came out with a real intensity and and that clearly carried across the court for the rest of the Thunderbirds. 
Uh, in goal defence, the one and only Kim Jenner. How could you not put her in after that ridiculous performance? That was just absolutely phenomenal. So I'm pretty sure all three of us were in agreement that she had to get the nod there. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Sophia might throw to you for the midcourt. Yeah, so all three of my picks actually made it into the midcourt, so that's always a win for me. Obviously, wing defence, it's hard to go past Amy Parmenta. Um, Jared's head of the Palmy Army, Taylor's head of the Jenner Army. Um, so both, both of them had to be in here this week just based on two really, really phenomenal performances, really consistent. Um, Mahalia Cassidy comes into centre. This was a bit of a difficult one. We had a few names thrown in there. Langman played one really good game and was a little bit quiet in the Vixens game. You've got Maloney, who was really quiet in the second game, didn't play the full match against the Thunderbirds, but was influential in the first. And yeah, we went with Cassidy just based on her consistency and she's really going for the ball and hunting every single ball. And she's just been so impressive to start the season. So uh, a well-deserved spot for her. And then wing attack, we went a little bit left of field and we went with Kira Austin. She played wing attack for one and a half of her games and she really, I mean, this was the one I really campaigned for. She was so impressive in that first game, getting the ball to Seabass. She managed 30 assists, which was easily the top for the round. Um, yeah, she was just so good. So, yeah, go midcourt. Yeah. Jared, um, up to you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say a few great picks, a few young guns. Um, all across the court so far. And I think that continues into the shooting circle. Uh, in goal attack, we're actually going to go to you guys, the listeners, for this one um, uh, for a poll on Twitter. We, we actually just couldn't decide on who to pick for the goal attack position. Um, there are a few great performances. Some players had um, one really good game and one kind of average game. Um, there wasn't really one goal attack who stood up across the two rounds during the week. So... The four options we've gone with are Alice Teague-Neild, Gabby Sinclair, Georgie Horges, and Helen Housby. Um, all four of these shooters put in at least one impressive performance um, over the week, and I think there's a case for all four of them to to get a spot in the team of the week. So do go follow us at Centre Pass Pod. Uh, we will post that um, probably as soon as this podcast has gone up. So do go vote on that and choose the goal attack position in our team of the week. And in goal shooter, we've gone with Shimona Nelson. Uh, there are a few options here. I know uh, Kara Conan was one. Janelle Fowler was another one. Um, Janelle Fowler doing her usual thing, 50-plus goals. But we've gone with Nelson. Uh, a few great games in the win against the Firebirds was 42 of 55. Uh, so great accuracy there and, and led the Magpies to a win. And in their second match in round four, although it was a loss, 46 of 49 in that game. So... Um, very accurate and very consistent uh, and a great job uh, f- over, over the past week. Uh, our bench for this week, we've gone with Lauren Moore. I think we didn't speak about her too much when we spoke about the Swifts uh, this week, but um, had an awesome performance. And I think it's a bit tough to find a spot for Maddie Turner when Lauren Moore's having uh, such a great year so far. So continues her great form. Carla Pretorius, um, just outstanding and I think if this had been anyone else, they we would have been ranting and raving about them. But this was kind of a typical Carla Pretorius performance. So uh, great job there. Uh, Gemma Maimai, um, I spoke about her a bit earlier, um, had a great battle with Amy Parbenter in their second game of the round. And her and Cassidy formed a really great combination for the Firebirds this week. Um, Kara Conan is another one 
um, who was kind of fighting for that starting goal shooter role, but um, a 50-plus goal performance in the Lightning's win um, over the Swifts uh, in round four was was absolutely great. And that final spot will go to, I guess, whoever um, comes second in our poll. So remember, do go follow us at Pod on Twitter to go vote on that one. Um, and that is our team of the week for rounds three and four. Uh, just finally, we are going to move on to ANZ Premiership. And uh, obviously there were no games in round 10 or what was supposed to be round 10 this weekend. Um, due to the tightening of COVID restrictions over in New Zealand. So they have moved to, um, they are going to get a grand final off and that will be between the Pulse and the Tactics. And this one is a really exciting matchup. Um, I think the Pulse will obviously go in as favourites. What do you guys think of this one? Yeah, I'm backing the Pulse in on this one. I think that if Amelia and Ekinazio and Maddie Gordon both return because they missed round nine, I think Gordon was just uh, precaution. She'd hurt her ankle the week before and Ekinazio was out six. So if the two of them can return, I, I think the Pulse should get the job done. Their attack is just really fluent with those two in it. And defensively, Cali Jury and Katrina Rode have been so strong and influential that they have the ability to shut down the likes of Ali Bird and Tapia Selby Rickett. And if they can do that, then, you know, that will go a long way in, in gifting them that second grand final or back-to-back grand final. But at the same time, it's a really exciting thing because this is the first time that the tactics have gotten into a grand final. So this is huge for them. And you kind of can't discount just how much this season now really means to them. I mean, it's been such an unconventional year for all of us. And then for them to be playing in their first grand final, expect a lot of emotion out on court. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, absolutely. The tactics have been steadily building all season and they really proved that over the last however many weeks. I think they won their last maybe three or four games. Really, really good build up there to this round. Um, They knew they didn't have to win their last game and so it actually probably worked out for them that they didn't have to play it. It gives them a week to rest, a week to really, really focus on the pulse instead of worrying about who they were playing in the last round of the season. Um, So I, I wouldn't put it past the tactics to come out hunting, but if the pulse, like Taylor said, if the pulse have um, Gordon, Gordon's probably the one that I'd put more of a question mark on. I don't have much to worry about um, Ekinazio taking the court, but I think the real issue will be whether Gordon takes the court because that will leave kind of the wing attack roll up to Tiana Metuaro, um, and she is kind of the rotation into goal attack when they need it. And if Ekinazio isn't 100%, then they actually don't have a wing attack really who can step up. So I think that'll be the real, really big question there. But yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how this one plays out. Yeah, I think it's going to be an awesome matchup for the grand final. Obviously, there won't be, I'm pretty sure there won't be a crowd at the game, um, which is disappointing, but um, it'd be great to see. I think the Pulse will go in as favourites and it'd be good to see them win, but also um, it'd be great to see the tactics if they can cause an upset. Um, Just before we do wrap up, there is a little bit more news coming out of the ANZ Premiership. Um, First of all, uh, Storm Purvis has retired um, from Elite Netball. Unfortunately, couldn't get to the 100th National League game. She's stuck on 99, um, so she's How retired. How devastating she, is that? Yeah, she would have played <laughs> her 100th I was saying that during the, the week. Yeah, she like, would have played her 100th thing. game in the playoff and um, just doesn't get to that milestone, played two tests for the Silver Ferns. So 
Um, a great career, but unfortunately it comes to an end. And just some other unfortunate news is that um, Magic defender Holly Fowler um, has ruptured her ACL and MCL in her right knee. Um, that was done in round nine. So uh, very disappointing that she will miss probably next season as well. Um, that's her second um, ACL injury. She's done it on her left knee in 2017. So um, a, a bit of disappointing news to wrap up, but a great career for Storm Purvis. It was it was actually really heart it was heartbreaking to see Holly Fowler on the floor in that those final minutes of that game. I think she kind of knew that it was it was her ACL that she had done and you could see just the heartbreak on everyone's on everyone's face and I think the magic were really starting to find that rhythm in defence with Georgia Tong in keeper and Erin Makari out in goal defence and then and Fowler in, in that wing defence position. So it's a heartbreaking loss for them and especially for her it's it's clearly no mean feat to come back from an ACL. Yeah, I think um, great to see her back on court when she eventually does get back. Uh, but that is all we have time for this week on the Centre Pass podcast. As I said, do go follow us on Twitter at Centre Pass Pod uh, to vote on our poll for the team of the week. And do go to netball.draftcentral.com for all your world netball news and reviews. And we will speak to you next week.